0: Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, welcome to Indie Thinker. Thank you so much for joining us. So today I've got something a little bit different for you guys. I recently did an interview with a guy named Jacob Fay. He's a young man. He's got a brand new po- podcast called Truth of the Matter. And the conversation was so great that I felt like it would be a good opportunity to kind of switch things up and share that conversation with you. So it's gonna look a little bit different than, than what our normal videos look like, but it'll sound the same and it'll still be packed full of great, great content. But uh, Jacob and I talk a, a little bit about critical race theory, we talk about deconstruction, we talk about Christianity and why it's important for us to really kind of dig into these things and even have these conversations about these issues. So uh, I think you'll find it really, really informative and very, very helpful in you and your pursuit to have meaningful and useful conversations that can impact the world. So here is the Truth of the Matter podcast with Jacob Fay and yours truly.
1: So to start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Okay. So um, I, I think first off, uh, I'm a Christian. I spent the last 18 years of my life in traditional kind of Christian ministry uh, as a pastor in various roles and, and various churches kind of uh, all over kind of the Eastern part of the United States. Uh, did a little bit in Tennessee, a little bit in Kentucky, a little bit in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and uh, and then secondly, I'm a, I'm a husband. I've been married for uh, 11 years going on 12. And, uh, and then I'm also a dad. I've got two little boys. One of them just turned, uh, five the other day. And then I also have a little boy who is seven years old. So both boys, both awesome. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. Um, but maybe the most kind of interesting thing recently that took place is that I had started a church from the ground up. I started a, um, what's called a church plant. And for those who aren't familiar with that language, just essentially, I went into a city where I really didn't know anybody and we started a church from the ground up. So we recruited a team of about 40 or so people. Um, and uh, and then we raised some money and we got together and uh, we just basically started a church. Uh, so just like you would start a business, we started a, a church just from kind of from nothing. So we were a mobile church too, which means we were in like a, a school, uh, on Sundays. So we would set up all of our stuff, all of our equipment, you know, we had a full fledged church and then we would also, uh, after service that we'd have service and then we'd take that stuff down. Uh, so it was really, really laborsome process, but really, really cool. And then 2020 happened, which totally screwed up everything for everybody. Um, and I say that kind of, (laughs) not totally true, but for me, it was really, really, um, opening and maybe we'll jump into it a little bit too. Um, in terms of where we are as a church, where we are in terms of impacting the culture. And as I started to do that, I think the gifting that God had given me to be a teacher just kind of started to get stirred up. And I realized the conversations that we're having right now have at least I wasn't aware of them before, or perhaps have changed in such a way that I feel like the church has a responsibility, Christians have a responsibility to let the embers of Christian virtue that have burned throughout the ages um, really be prominent now. And I see so many pastors getting into more or less the woke talking points or just even distancing themselves from actually engaging in The thoughtful conversation that we need to be having right now, uh, beyond just giving in to what the culture says. So needless to say, I got really kind of convicted with my role as a pastor, teacher, Christian, and impacting society, uh, and really the voice of Christianity being heard beyond the four walls of the church. And I just really felt like uh, I wanted to add my voice to that mix because I wasn't really hearing voices that represented what I thought and felt out in the public marketplace of ideas. So, um, so what I did is I merged my church with a friend, uh, and so he kind of took in the congregation, uh, the flock, and then kind of continued to pastor them. And then my wife and I moved uh, back to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we presently live. And we started um, really kind of praying and thinking about what was next for us and what came out of that, long story short, was the Indie Thinker podcast, where we would bring on key thought leaders on a regular basis um, to discuss four things, culture, causes, politics, and faith, and to have just really, really open conversations and maybe just a kind of as a side note we we release a brand new episode with a new guest each monday and then on wednesday i do a bonus episode where i just kind of talk about current events and just kind of give christian thoughts about that but ultimately the idea behind it is this is that i believe we need a robust christian worldview that allows for the uh, truth of Christ and the gospel and the Bible to be proliferated throughout every area of our life, not just in the quote-unquote religious areas of our life, but when it comes to like political discussions, where does the Christian align in this area, and and what should the Christian think? Is there a Christian standpoint? Uh, Is there a biblical standpoint that we need to hold on these issues? And, And so all of that stuff, and of course, Obviously, uh, the two things that come to mind for 2020 is what should the church Christian position be about government that is overextending its reach, say, in COVID lockdowns, Like, What does the church have to say about that kind of stuff, especially when the church in some states is being forcibly locked down? Or even when we presently right now see, which I don't even think Christians, it's just on their radar, Uh, because they're like, all right, we don't have to wear a face mask anymore. But then we see stuff going on in Canada where there are pastors being arrested in front of their families with their little babies crying outside their home because they decided to have a church service. So it's just an absolute injustice and Christians better stand up and figure out where their voice is. Um, And then maybe to even uh, the George Floyd incident and kind of like the racial conversation that's happening in America. What is the Christian like perspective. Is there a Christian perspective about these things? And what should we say about those things? And so that's kind of what Indythinker Thinker does. Um, I view it as a pulpit, just like the pulpit I had before, but maybe just kind of a different kind of pulpit. So, so that's what we're doing right now. Uh, we're doing that podcast. And then we're also going to be branching out pretty soon here in the next month and having live conversations where we invite people from the community to come in to those live podcasts where they can do live Q&A. And then some other things also in the works as Indie as Thinker starts to grow and evolve.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And one of the things that I love about your podcast, like you're saying, you tackle a lot of these hard questions that a lot of people don't want to touch. People haven't wanted to get involved in these questions. And I want to talk with you about what it means for believers to be the salt and light that Jesus spoke about. A lot of Christians are confused right now, like you're saying, about so many issues in the culture from critical race theory and Black Lives Matter There are so many topics that we just don't know how to respond to, and we've put an emphasis on just preaching the gospel, which is great, obviously, except the church has been too hesitant to address these controversial subjects, and now Christians are totally unprepared to respond to the deception that has creeped into our churches and, and so and I'm wondering,
0: let me just throw this in here real quick. Um, hold yeah. that thought. But the, my, my thinking here is uh, because I want to be very charitable, because obviously today we'll be talking about brothers and sisters in Christ and that kind of stuff. But um, uh, so I think the reason for that, by the way, Jacob, I think is because I don't believe people really feel equipped to to talk about these things. Now, that right. may be a convenient excuse, but I think that when pastors go into ministry, they are not given like treatises on in seminary on critical race theory. And they're not, you know, they go in because they have a good heart. They want to take care of people. They want to preach the gospel. They want to honor Jesus and all these things. And so um, I think if people are on it, pastors specifically are honest with themselves, they would say, I'm just not really secure talking about these things. Um, I'm not confident about these things. And that's why I'm not talking about them. But I also think people have the tendency, including myself to kind of, sugarcoat and lie to ourselves and what we say is well we're just supposed to preach the gospel we're not supposed to dig into these issues in the culture and what they obviously do is they they kind of couch their cowardice and compassionate language and then kind of just avoid this stuff altogether right. um, and then i'll just say part of background for me too is um i'm not going to pretend to be an expert on any of these things but i will say that perhaps um in the christian world outside of people who this is their specialty or even uh, people in the academy who this is something that they study for years and years and years, uh, at least from, um, uh, from the perspective of somebody who's dedicated the last 18 years of their life and gone through the academy to educate myself as best as I can, uh, getting a master's degree uh, in, in 2012, um, I've, I've tried to prepare myself to talk about these things. I've tried to educate myself ad nauseum to, to try to make sure that I know exactly what I'm talking about and how I'm addressing these issues so that I don't create strawmans and uh, say, we're talking about like critical race theory, for instance, and then somebody who comes along says, well, you actually don't know what critical race theory is if that's what you're talking about. So I've tried to educate myself and train myself to the best of my ability. Uh, in the academy and also on a personal level, to make sure that I am steeped in this research to know what I'm talking about, so that I can effectively kind of talk about these issues. So, needless to say, I think pastors just avoid it. Um, I don't think they should, but I also understand why they do. Uh, they they just wanna they wanna pastor people and love people. But we're also realizing that 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 may not be sufficient in our present generation, uh, and that that we probably need to even maybe expand our understanding of what a pastor does and is given some of the things that are going on in our culture.
1: Right, and I think like you're saying, anyone can learn about these subjects, and yeah. so we're going to be talking about how churches have failed to teach these subjects, but just like you have done, anyone for themselves can dive in and learn more about critical race theory or compare yeah. biblical justice justice to social justice, for example, and so my question for you is in order to be the salt and light that Jesus has called us to be getting specific with some of these issues that churches have compromised on, how should we address the um, anti-biblical lies that have already infiltrated our culture and then furthermore have even come into our churches?
0: Yeah. So I guess it depends on um, the lies we're talking about because we have to be able to nuance. So um so I'll try to answer that more broadly, and then if you have any specific questions about like what specific lies we're talking about, um, I'll, I'd, I'd be happy to kind of dig into those specifically. So on a broad, uh, broadly, kind of maybe just on a philosophical level, why do we need to be having conversations that don't typically take place in church? Well, I, I, if, I, if I can be honest, I would say I think it's because the conversations that we typically have in church um, have evolved from a way of doing church and not necessarily from scripture. Um, so I would say that the scripture covers a lot of ground that um, that should push us towards having really, really important conversations. So let me just give you an example. We say uh, the pulpit is not a place for talking about politics. Uh, newsflash: Satan loses. So you don't need to. You don't need the news. You need a Bible. Okay, so. Um, while they're even maybe even like an appealing, and I'll be honest with you, it's certainly appealing to me to kind of say those platitudinal type Christian things um, because I would rather stick my head in the sand and not worry about what's going on in my world. I do think that that is a recipe for absolute disaster. I believe it's the kind of recipe for disaster that we saw in the time of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, where you have pastors who slowly but surely agree. Yes, Nazi Germany. okay, so we're going to we're going to separate Jews from the regular public because. Uh, we're trying to uh, you know, do a service to them or maybe they're living in poverty. And so we're gonna help them and we're gonna create ghettos for them all to live in. And then you have pastors slowly but surely incrementally and then uh, jumping on board with the state and becoming the German church and sitting idly by why Hitler throws Jews in concentration camps. And that didn't happen overnight. So we look at history just kind of in this glossed over fashion, and we think to ourselves, uh, well, if I was in Nazi Germany today, I would resist Hitler because I'm a super awesome person. Uh, and the reality is, is that those lies were wrapped up in pretty bows, just like many of the lies that we're seeing today. And, uh, and people felt for those things through, a, through just a process of attrition. And so the point is, is that I believe we we have to have people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We have to have people like Martin Luther. And for the audience who may not be familiar with those guys, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and he decided that it was his righteous obligation to pioneer um, and to work alongside people who were actively trying to assassinate Hitler because he felt like that it was the only right and Christian thing to do with a man that was this evil and was hurting this many people, that we shouldn't idly sit by and we shouldn't idly just stand behind our pulpits as a security blanket, but that we actually have an obligation to get our hands dirty in the culture war. Now I know uh, culture war is like a semantically loaded term right now, but suffice to say, Christians throughout ages and generations have all obligated themselves to care about what's happening in the city. Um, even it says this, I believe it's in Jeremiah, where it says, what ha- uh, if the city prospers, you prosper. Um, <clears throat> so there's a sense in which we have an obligation to care about what's going on in the world and care about the definitions of truth that our world is operating in, and then to do something about those things. So, um, so just generally speaking, I would say the Bible calls us to be active in lifting our voice, speaking the truth. Of the gospel, yes, but the truth of Christ and the truth just reality um, in in into the different spheres of influence that that we inhabit. And certainly whenever we see things that are injustices and things that are a threat, we we have an obligation to stand up against those things. And the last thing I would say about that is this is that we'd say there might be even some who are still unconvinced. And then I, I would just say, what righteous good Christian would sit idly by? and say don't be political at the time of Abraham Lincoln and not say I have a righteous obligation to support this president who is actively trying to get rid of one of what is obviously um, uh, historically now um, but also wherever it's present the most atrocious evils possible slavery so you you wouldn't anybody can look at that at face value and just say you're not really practicing your faith or you're really ignorant of your faith if you, you think that the Christian doesn't have an obligation to get actively behind Abraham Lincoln and vote for that person. And I would say a similar issue in our present day is just this, is that we absolutely have an obligation to stand beside the wake of bodies in the, um, in the pro-choice movement. There are close to a million babies aborted every single year, and yet it ha- occupies maybe one Sunday a year in most pulpits in America, um, but yet we're having a racial reckoning, and I'm just like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about it all, but let's also not be afraid to talk about traditional, sex, uh, traditional sexuality, biblical sexuality, traditional marriage. Uh, let's not be afraid to talk about um, a race as the scripture details it, not necessarily as our modern-day pundits are talking about it. Let's have conversations about all these things, but let's root it in what we know is the truth, the scripture.
1: Yeah, that's so good. And I want to talk a little bit about deconstruction. This is something you shared with me, and I hadn't necessarily known too much about it. And unfortunately, there are a lot of evangelicals who are questioning the fundamentals of Christianity, and then ultimately falling away from their faith. And a problem with this is, it seems to be high profile people And so the news picks up on these stories, and they use it as proof almost of how Christianity isn't truly a valid religion, or I don't know exactly the point they're making, but they love to pick up on these stories. And so we might need to define evangelical deconstruction for those who don't know exactly what it means, but in your opinion, why is it happening because it seems like it is connected to some of these other issues of churches, just in general not equipping people to live a Christian life, as you and I would define it. So why is this happening, and what can we do to prevent it from further happening in our churches?
0: Yeah, um, what's interesting, too, is that there seems to be these concurrent streams. There seems to be uh, the stream of deconstruction, especially among Christians, and then also critical race theory, also among Christians, but certainly much broader conversation in the culture, and there's a reason for that. Um, But so Perhaps I, I think it helps to go back a little bit one step, and then just talk about the history of deconstruction. So when you think about deconstruction, you think about a guy named Jacques Derrida. And Derrida was um, a decon like the deconstructionist, right? So he was a deconstructionist because he believed that systems of power um, were were responsible for creating um, not only evil things, but also creating the reality in which we understand it. And, and so the only way to be able to overthrow uh, something if it's evil or something if it's, um, uh, should be uh, just deconstructed, just to use their term, uh, the only way to do that is uh, to pull down those systems of power um, to make things as egalitarian and as equal as, as possible so uh so for instance um you you uh you might have heard like the thing that was going around the internet and probably still to some extent is, but two plus two equals five. All right. Um, I don't know if you saw that or whatever, have heard talk about this. Um, But so the idea behind that, like most people, most general, general people, especially in the church, when they see that two plus two equals five, like, what are we talking about here? This is ridiculous. But, but we need to take these the only way that you can dismiss that stuff so quickly is if you don't understand it. So what somebody like Derrida would, would, would say is that uh, logic reason, and deduction are all built upon a patriarchy of sorts or a system of power. So maybe in this case you would say white western power, neo-colonial imperialistic um, uh, and maybe not neo-colonial but the colonialistic imperialistic power created this understanding through French enlightenment ideas of what reason, logic, and deduction is. And all of those things, more recently, you would hear people say these are the master's tools. The way that we enslave ourselves is by obeying these things that were created by white imperialists. Um, so these things need to be overthrown. And so what we end up doing is this kind of baby out with the bathwater thing. We throw out logic, logic reason, deduction. And so now math is no longer even like a thing like math is totally subjective there is no objective truth because uh because The reason that we have an understanding of math is through logic, reason, and deduction. And of course, those things are all built upon patriarchy, built upon uh, systemic power that is uh, inevitably going to be oppressive and all those kind of things. And those things need to be, in Derrida's mind, deconstructed and destroyed and and gotten rid of and new things built in their place. Um, So it comes from uh, a general idea of uh, systems of power and the idea that those things need to be destroyed. Now you can enter in critical race theory here and start to hear kind of some of the the elements of that. But the whole point of of that is this, is that there may even, I I think it's face value that there's problems with certain systems of power and there are certain systems that have flaws. I think anybody with a brain would be willing to concede to that. Um, uh, But the problem becomes where every system of power now is somehow evil or somehow needs to be destroyed. So this is where we come and then full circle back to our present time. Um, So of course, uh, white male Christians are inviting a uh, system of power in America uh, that some might even consider oppressive, like white Christian males, okay, so you, you, you have power, and that power needs to be distributed out among, equally among the people, okay, so I think that's really, really arguable, because I think for far too long, we've um, inhabited a place of, of of a lack of cultural power, but needless to say, Uh, So we have Christians nowadays who uh, are buying into some of the things that they're hearing and therefore thinking to themselves, well, I must deconstruct my faith. Um, I must destroy this system of power that my faith is built upon and uh, destroy this white, Western, imperialistic view of the world. And I have to totally reconsider my faith from a different perspective. Um, So there's two things I would say about that, Jacob. uh, and, And I'd love to hear your thoughts about this first. I think there's good deconstruction. I think there's bad deconstruction. I think deconstruction for the sake of critical analysis is really, really healthy. I think you should be willing to sit back and ask yourself the question, why does evil exist in a world where God exists? Why does God allow the child uh, to be born with cancer, bone, let's say bone cancer, like one of the most painful cancers you can possibly have? Why in a world where there's a good God who is all loving, why would he allow that kind of stuff to exist? To ask those questions and not to be afraid of asking those questions. However, I have to say that I think the vast majority of people who are deconstructing in our present age are not deconstructing for the sake of trying to uh, perform critical analysis. I think they're deconstructing for the sake of deconstructing. Why? Because I think it's really in vogue. I mean, you think about somebody like Kevin Max, and I don't even know if you know who Kevin Max is because you're- Relatively young, but Kevin Max is, was one of the guys of DC Talk, one of the guys behind Jesus, uh, Freak the album, you know, uh, one of the most transcendent Christian albums, I think kind of inarguably, even if you don't like the music now, which I would understand, because I didn't like it back in the day when I was a kid, I wasn't a Christian <laughs> when it first came out, but, uh, but certainly it was a groundbreaking album for Christians. And now you have Kevin Max coming out and saying, I'm kind of the original OG of deconstruction. You guys are just kind of following in my footsteps. So here's the reality is a lot of people think that this is a way and perhaps the right, that this is a way to draw attention to yourself. And I, and I don't mean to be uncharitable there, but I really do honestly think that in an age of social media where everybody is frantic to try to prove that they matter, Rather than just understanding that they matter because they've got intrinsic value outside of what anybody says on social media, um, because you've been created in the image of God. Come on. Um I, I everybody's frantically searching for meaning. And, and if you don't get enough likes on your posts, all we can only assume that what you're saying doesn't matter, or that you're not liked, right? I mean, this is kind of the social construction side of social media and how it's engineering us to think. But um, but please, And please shut me off if I'm rambling on too much. But, but the point is, is that I think the second style of deconstruction is a plea for attention. It's a plea for likes, and it's inevitably working. I mean, you've got Abraham Piper. You familiar with Abraham Piper?
1: Not exactly. The name okay. sounds familiar, but I'm not sure of his story.
0: Okay, so what about John Piper?
1: Yeah, John Piper, I recognize that name.
0: Okay, so Abraham Piper is John's son. Um, And and Abraham Piper is, I guess at this point, you could call him a high profile atheist. Uh, So he goes on and he kind of slanders Christians and mocks Christianity and all sorts of stuff and and asks what some people who don't study a whole lot, I guess, would consider thought provoking questions. Um, And so he goes on there and that and so he's kind of like your stereotypical deconstructionist and and it seems more a plea for attention because he's getting like a million likes on these videos because it's inevitable that you're going to find people who love to destroy out there. So um, so I, I guess I would put it this way. Deconstruction for deconstruction's sake is not, is, is not virtuous. Um, and I don't even think it's valuable. I think the deconstruction for the sake of pulling apart your faith to see if you're actually standing on reasonable faith and not just a faith of your fathers or your, your mother or your grandmother, but you have your own faith. It's well thought out. It's based upon facts. It was a faith that was given to you by God so that no man can take it away with an argument. That kind of faith is valuable, but I would also go one step further. And, And I think this is important for people to know. So it's the only reason I want to belabor the point is that deconstruction is valuable, but it's not virtuous. And what I mean by that is, is that deconstruction can be valuable if done the right way, valuable if done the right way. But it is only virtuous when you start building. So this is one thing I really, really want people to know. So I'm not, I'm not going to be somebody that's hating on the deconstructionists, right? Like, okay, deconstruct. But remember, at the end of the day, once you're done and you've got the rubble all around you, what are you going to build? And, and that's the question that I would just ask all of us is that, is that before you take down the fence, and I believe this is G.K. Chesterton, before you take down the fence, ask why it's there in the first place. The fence may be there for a very good reason. Now, most people these days are just going to tear down the fence because their hunger for likes are so much so that they cannot stop themselves. But when the fence is down, you're going to realize why the fence was there in the first place. And you're going to be faced with the the decision to build that fence back up. And that's when you become virtuous. Is when you build stuff. So this is just a truism for anybody in life, regardless of Christianity and the faith aside, is that it is not virtuous to destroy. It's only virtuous to build. Um, so, uh, so at the end of the day, we're going to have to ask ourselves if we are going to deconstruct. What are we going to? What are we going to put in its place? Uh, because we may find, um, even for those who are kind of in the progressive Christian worldview kind of uh, lane, that what they what they've created now is a god in their own image. And they've gotten rid of the God of the Bible, the, God, the real God, the, the God that's cre- that is self-defining. And now we've destroyed our understanding of that God personally because you can't really destroy him. But, but now we're, we're going back to the place where now we're molding a God in our own image because that's more convenient for the culture. And at the end of the day, perhaps this goes back to your previous question. That's what I would really caution all of us to do is don't create a God that's palatable for the culture. Um, So I think there's a lot of pastors who are doing that right now. And I think this goes back to the seeker sensitive movement, which we may want to get into, may not want to. But I think that many pastors are falling for the trap of creating a seeker-sensitive God that's palatable for their audience and doesn't rub them the wrong way, isn't controversial whatsoever. So we're never gonna talk about traditional marriage. We're never gonna talk about biblical sexuality, even though the Bible is replete with constant reminders about what biblical sexuality looks like, Old and New Testament. Um, we're going to, we're going to avoid those sticky topics and we're going to even say things like, well, we don't give simple answers to big questions on Sunday mornings. And really what you're doing is you're just afraid to talk about it because you know that the moment you do, there's a social cost for it. And I guess that's what I'm saying is that there's a social cost for standing up for biblical values in our age. And regardless of it, we need to understand it and, and move forward.
1: Right. And I love what you're saying about how, there isn't necessarily anything wrong with asking these questions. And in fact, that's actually a good thing because especially for people that grow up in the church, I think sometimes you just accept what your parents accepted, what their grandparents accepted. You know, it's just, you don't ever get it for yourself. You don't have this faith for yourself. It's just something you've grown up with. And so you accept it. And so definitely asking these questions are good and it's useful if like you're saying, you're going to build on top of that. You're going yep. to do something with it. But most people just ask these questions ultimately to try to prove Christianity wrong. Yeah. And it's, it's for the wrong reasons. But I also love what you're saying, because for the longest time in America, our churches have put such a heavy emphasis on being popular. That's yep. what you're talking about, being popular and 50%. supposedly, yeah. Supposedly, they do it for the right reasons. They want to grow their churches, expand their platforms, tell more people about Jesus, right? And all of that's fine. We would totally support all of that. The problem is, especially over the last year, there has been a massive push for churches to just accept popular ideas, the popular messages of the culture, you know, even if they have to compromise on truth in order to do so. And that's where you have a problem because now embracing marxist ideas that's popular affirming or affirming the lgbtq lifestyle that's popular accepting social justice you know all of these things are now popular in the culture and so especially over the last year churches have been put in a place where they have to choose between compromising on the truth or losing their popularity and unfortunately the decisions of many churches seems to suggest that they have put a greater value on being culturally accepted than on obediently following Christ. So give us your thoughts on why this is happening. Why are so many churches so flippantly embracing the popular anti-biblical ideas of the world, but then also how do we get back to a faith that just impacts every area of your life? Because And for so many churches, they just focus on a faith that only impacts your church life, not every area of your life. And then that's why I think it has become easier for us to embrace these anti-biblical ideas that are related to politics, because we just don't address those issues in the church. So give us your thoughts on why this is happening.
0: Well, let me be really clear. I I, I tried to say, you know, I've educated myself and I've researched um in the academy and i had some really really great teachers from prestigious universities duke marquette and all that stuff but i'm going to go ahead and just say um i don't know Uh, but i do have some theories Uh, so i don't have the definitive answer so i don't want to try to come off as um as someone who who does Uh, and i don't really know that we, we do know but i do think we need to ask the questions so i think it's important to discuss these things and this is where i find sometimes that christians just kind of like stop at the door and just like um, because we may not know the answer, we're afraid of asking the question. So I, I think the, the question's good. So the first thing, um, in terms of like, uh, why the church is responding um, to the culture, and maybe this, I'm not paraphrasing your question real well, but why, why we're seeing the church respond some of the way that they are to some of what's happening in the culture. Okay. Um, I, I Again, I don't know, but I have a theory that what the... Um, seeker-sensitive movement has done. And for those who are not familiar with that, I'm going to probably botch it, but I'll give a working definition. The seeker-sensitive movement is kind of the idea that the church has a obligation towards evangelism. Everybody agrees. The church has an obligation to adjust its language in such a way that those who are listening and are not steeped in religious tradition would be able to understand it. So in a lot of ways, the seeker-sensitive movement, like you said, is very good is it acknowledges some things that Christians probably weren't willing to acknowledge in, in the past in a way that has really taken the church to, um, to great heights. I mean, you think to yourself, like Stephen Furtick probably has something like 3 million followers on Instagram or something like that. And there's a pastor, for crying out loud. Uh, and then you go to people like uh, uh, Rich Wilkerson down in Miami and stuff. He's probably got like a million followers. Chad Veach has Chris Pratt come into his church. And before um, the uh, the moral failure of Carl uh, Lentz, Carl Lentz probably has close to a million followers too um, on various platforms, and uh, and Justin Bieber was going to his church, and so you've got these cultural like icons going to uh, these Christian churches, which is just like, dude, <laughs> before we were so used to trying to fight for cultural prominence in America uh, outside of just raw statistics. So needless to say. Um, what has created a lot of that is the seeker-sensitive movement that has tried to become, and the buzzword is relevant, tried to become more relevant to the world. Um, and I'll try to make this as quick as possible. But but the the only issue is, is that on the front side of seeker-sensitive movements, we have kind of a uh, rise in pop culture Christianity, which has created celebrity pastors like these guys with celebrities going to their church. Um, on the back end of seeker-sensitive Um, culture is that I believe that it's become so relevant that it's lost its edge, uh, Christianity and the gospel and the truth of God's word. Um, And we've tried, we've in a lot of ways, I I think people are going to disagree with this, but I would humbly disagree with them for disagreeing uh, with me. Uh, I I think in a lot of ways, they have given up um, some aspects of historical Christian Orthodox tradition and and truth, for the sake of becoming relevant to the to the culture and trying to be uh, appealing to the to the world. Um, and my proof text for that is: look at 2020, when we needed pastors to stand up boldly against Black Lives Matter and their uh, Marxist agenda. Uh, and this is not read here. This is just so undeniable; it's not even worth defending. They are a Marxist organization that really doesn't care about Black lives, um, and and that's positioned in the fact that they have made their big, you know, uh, contribution to society defunding the police. Well, that's going really well for places like New York City, uh, for other big cities like Los Angeles. Um, uh, no, Scott, murder is skyrocketing at a uh, like about three hundred percent or something like that in in New York City. I don't remember the latest statistics, but needless to say. Um, so when we needed pastors to stand up, nuance these ideas, nuance critical race theory, instead we just had pastors who said, yes, we need a racial reckoning. Yes, the church is the most segregated uh, uh, institution on a Sunday morning in the world. It's like, come on guys, all right, <laughs> for sure. All right, there there are some churches that are predominantly white. There are some churches that are predominantly black. Um, I, I, those are decisions that people are making. And I mean, you'd have to like, look a long, far way off to just make that kind of a holdover from Jim Crow era, civil rights and that kind of stuff. I think this is just simply a natural thing that people um, who, uh, uh, who are alike usually tend to flock together. Now, I don't like it, but, but also let's also kind of give a caveat here. That's not, that's not also totally 100% true. Um, there are tons of churches that are really heavily fully integrated and have a really strong mix of Black, white, Hispanic, and all these other things. Um, so I, I just think that what we saw in 2020 is the proof that what was happening in the, the, the double sided acts of the uh, uh, or sword of the seeker sensitive movement is that it was starting to become such a cultural phenomenon that it started to lose some of its biblical imperatives and some of its biblical truth in the process of becoming very appealing to people and then you can see that with these pop culture pastors and their answers to biblical questions they refuse to answer them they just refuse to on at face value because they will not do anything that will injure their attendance because growth became more important than truth in some of these circles and again uh, hopefully i've defended that well i I know there are people that are going to still disagree with that um but But I think that's what we're seeing is we're seeing now that we need pastors who can stand up against these ideas with better ideas. And because they've become so steeped in the culture, all they can present to us is what the culture already has to offer.
1: Right. I think you did great because I'm totally okay with having big churches as long as you can have truth, because truth is what changes people without the truth. You can have a massive church, but it is just a feeling. People go there to get a feeling, but they don't necessarily change because pastors aren't confronting these issues because they don't want to lose anybody. And I think that's probably not all huge churches, not all mega churches, but a lot of them. That's the problem with people not necessarily changing because the pastor's Don't want to say anything controversial, don't want to say anything that could get them in trouble because they just want the attention. And again, maybe they're doing it for the right reasons. Many of them are because they want to expand their platforms. But at the end of the day, you can have a huge platform, but you need to have truth in order to change people.
0: I I think a simple question is what's really needed is fine big church whatever who cares Um, make your church I said this the other day in a bonus episode that your church needs to be as big as it can be and still be healthy because it's really clear to me I think that uh, what was happening with Hillsong and that stuff and why I want to dig into that but what was happening at Hillsong was the effects of a a church culture that was not healthy Um, so yeah get your church as big as you want it to be but only if you can continue to make it healthy Um, so I, I just think that like, it can never be at the expense of what is right. Now, most pastors are never going to agree with the premise that we just laid out. Like, well, we are growing and we're speaking the truth, but, but I, but here's the real question is this is the question that we need to ask ourselves as pastors. Would Jesus go to our church? Would Jesus be the pastor of our church? If Jesus was the pastor of our church, Would the message sound different than what it sounds like on a Sunday? And if we can answer those questions, look ourselves in the mirror, look at the Bible and answer those questions in good conscience, then I say, hey, man, have at it. Go after the lost, win the lost, keep on growing your platform, reach as many people as possible, but never at the expense of truth.
1: Exactly. And I think what Jesus focuses on and would focus on is the hard truths a lot of churches, it's the easy truths that make people feel good. You know, God loves you, all of those things that we hear Sunday after Sunday that encourage people, but don't change their lives necessarily. And so I think we need to focus on the hard truths and not for the sake of being controversial, but for the sake of really equipping Christians to address these issues, because I think that's why people are leaving the church is because they don't feel like their faith prepares them to live a true Christian life. They're just totally unprepared. And I think that's why we have this deconstruction of people that want to tear down Christianity, walk away from their faith. It's because we aren't preparing people to address these issues because the world is going to throw these questions at us. That's inevitable. And so we have to be prepared. And so just one last in closing um, one final question. I obviously I'm a big advocate for the idea of individuals taking responsibility for their own lives. I think yep. that's super important. And we've been talking about a lot of problems with the church as a whole, but at the end of the day, if we are not prepared to proclaim biblical truths, if we fall away from the faith, we can really only blame ourselves for that. Yep. So what advice would you give to those who want to know biblical truth for themselves that want to dive in and be prepared to address these hard questions and respond to these issues. So what advice would you give them? And also what tools would you recommend that they use?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, man. Thank you for asking. Cause I think, I think if anything, you know, Christians need to be having conversations like that. Like what you just said is like, what are you listening to? Uh, what's it teaching you, how are you growing in your faith, Um, and how are you growing in your ability to reach the world, Uh, and what tools are you doing to do that? Like, I can't remember the last time I asked a friend that question, Uh, but we should be having these conversations with each other, so I think it's a great question. Um, So, I, I would say you can't know everything, but you also can't let ignorance continually be an excuse. So, pinpoint the things that are important to you that you feel like God has called you to address. Um, maybe that's the pro-life issue and you really want to get behind that. Uh, recently, I've been really doing some soul searching myself and realizing I'm a theoretical pro-lifer, but I'm not a real pro-lifer because I have voted, but that's about the extent to where my pro-life stuff has has uh, gone. You know, uh, My activism as far as that, and that's not a dirty word, by the way. Activism is a good thing if you're just if you're getting behind the right causes um so uh, so just figure out what causes you want to get behind i would say the pro-life one is an important one so we're starting to petition uh, uh and this is part of partly my church too i go to uh, calvary chapel and they're uh starting to petis- petition government officials um about planned parenthood they're starting to do uh walks for life they've raised uh over a hundred thousand dollars for their local uh pregnancy resource center Um, And, and just, so I guess I'm just saying, find out what thing makes you tick the thing that you can get passionate behind and really pioneer that thing. And then I would say, because you're a Christian, you have to go one step further. You also have to get, you also have to become informed about the things that beyond your own personal desire and your own personal preference, you have to, you have a personal responsibility to become informed about the things that are taking place in our society. You may not want to talk about cultural Marxism, but I think you have an obligation to at least understand what it is. I believe you have an obligation to understand what critical race theory is, and because there's a lot of Christians right now who are going to step behind critical race theory and say, well, this is just an analytical tool, or if you don't like critical race theory, you just don't understand what it is, or um, even you know, critical race theory is a good thing that God wants us to use because it can help us really have conversations about race that we were never having before. And I would argue with every single one of those things that I'm a Christian, I've studied critical race theory, I know what it is, and I think you should, you should fight against it. Um, and we, of course, we don't have time to justify that claim, but the point is, is don't take my word for it. You go figure out what it is. You go dig, dig as much as you possibly can and become informed. And the reality is, is that like most people like dig into Wikipedia articles and then they become expert atheists. It's like, come on, man. Like you can do <laughs> a little bit better than that. Um, there is so many resources out there to become uh, informed about the issues of our day. So get informed about critical race theory, uh, get informed about cultural Marxism. Um, and, and, and get informed about deconstruction so that you can talk to your deconstructing friends and help them understand that, uh, deconstruction doesn't have to be immature. It can be really mature. It can be more than just, Hey, look at me. I'm cool because I'm destroying that faith that all you suckers, uh, listen to. Um, and I I think for myself and you don't, um, no, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. Your friends are doing it. So let's figure out what can we understand about deconstruction, Um, And this doesn't even have to be robust. So a couple of tools, uh, I would say, especially in line with some of the Marxist kind of critical race theory stuff. um, uh, But then just to kind of Christian, just general stuff. So the Christian general uh, conversation piece, two podcasts that I think are really, really good. I don't really listen to the Alyssa Childers podcast very much, um, but I like her and I like the guests that she has on really, really solid stuff. And she's kind of addressing some of the progressive wing of Christianity and really talking about why that stuff needs to be understood. Uh, I listen a little bit more frequently to John Cooper with Cooper stuff. And I don't know if you know who John Cooper is, but he's the front man for Skillet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so he um, he's got a great podcast. Uh, He goes over deconstruction ideas a lot. Um, And then kind of in the realm of really robust thinkers, James Lindsay, anything, get a James Lindsay book, listen to James Lindsay on a podcast. When he's a guest, he's been on Jordan Peterson. He's been with Ben Shapiro. He's been uh, with um, uh, Glenn Lowry and uh, the, the Glenn show is another really, really great show. Uh, It's on blogging heads TV, I think is what it's called. I've listened to that periodically. um, And he often has um, John McHorter. John McHorter is a fantastic intellect. Anything you can find on YouTube with him, Um, And then the last one would be um, uh, Coleman Hughes. Uh, Coleman Hughes also is a young uh, Black intellectual who's a really, really um, smart guy who uh, really thinks for himself and doesn't allow other people to tell him just because of the color of his skin what he should think. Um, So those are just a couple of, of podcasts, different things you can look up on YouTube that I think will be very beneficial. You won't always even agree with everything they say, but it's a great way to get informed.
1: Right. And then definitely check out Indie Thinker as well. Uh, I What I love about your podcast is how you represent other sides and opposing views, because yeah. I think it's good that we are prepared to understand the opposition that is going to come against us. I have to
0: say, I've tried to do that a little bit more, and it's very hard. I don't yeah. know. Thank you for that. I hope I have done a good job of that because I don't want to just be a, a partisan hack. Uh, or even just a Christian hack. I want to try to represent both sides, um, but it's really hard to do so because many people on the left will not talk with you. They will not debate you, and and quite frankly, I think it's subconscious that their ideas are just so flimsy that they won't talk about them. Um, and and uh, but nonetheless, keep on trying to have conversations. Don't let uh, the devil's in the details. So don't let people who are not willing to converse keep you from stepping in and realizing conversation is a good thing. Yeah,
1: that's so good. Well, Reed, it has been awesome to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. I can't thank you enough. Uh, just to remind us, what are the best ways to stay connected with you and IndieThinker? How can people follow you?
0: Yeah, thank you very much for asking. So uh, I would really appreciate anybody who's listening if you would go on and subscribe on our YouTube channel. And that's just simply youtube.com forward slash IndieThinker. And it's I-N-D-I-E, for, short for independent. Uh, and then Thinker, of course, T-H-I-N-K-E-R. Um, just because we want to help people be independent thinkers. So go on there, subscribe there, uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and even rate and review and comment. I know that sounds like a little bit of work, but it really, really does help, especially with somebody like me who's just starting out and podcasting with this, with these ideas. If you'll comment, it helps get into the hands of other people. It just helps the algorithms uh, kind of reach more people and get suggested to other people. So that's an uphill battle, as we all know, because conservative thinkers don't get the same kind of uh, uh, love on these platforms. Uh, so, so anything you guys can do to just kind of help get behind this messaging by rating, reviewing, liking, subscribing, and all that stuff, really, really be helpful. So we're on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, uh, uh, YouTube.
1: Awesome. That's IndieThinker and IndieThinker.com. Thank you so much. That's IndieThinker.org. It's been, sorry, IndieThinker.org. Yep, definitely check out IndieThinker.org and follow his podcast. It's been an honor to have you on. Thank you so much.
0: Hey man, thanks Jacob for your time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reid Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.